Welcome to Smashing the Plateau. We help you get unstuck so you can do what you love and get paid what you're worth consistently. I'm your host, David Schreiner Khan. My bank accounts is a direct reflection of my level of service. Today on episode 568 of Smashing the Plateau, I'm here with mental toughness coach Chris Doris. I'm going to ask Chris how he has built a successful coaching business by focusing on service and much more. Stay with us to hear all the details. You can find out more about Chris along with all of our previous episodes at smashingtheplateau.com. Are you building your own business after a long career as an employed professional? Listen to our show, Going Solo, also found on our website, smashingtheplateau.com. Now let's welcome Chris Doris. Chris is in the business of success coaching. He helps people close the gap between how their lives are now and how they want them to be. Chris, welcome to the show. Thank you, David. I appreciate the invitation. My pleasure to have you on. Chris, what is a success coach? Well, I define success as having your life on your terms. I just can't think of a better definition. I haven't heard a better one than that yet. It makes sense to me because you know I've coached a lot of people who have a lot of money and that I wouldn't deem them successful because they are not in love with their lives. So obviously money, the conventional definition of success is you know, power and money, and I don't buy it. So it's, I help people, first of all, clarify what are their terms and then go get them design their lives so their life is as they want it to be. Sounds good to me. How did you end up becoming a success coach? You know, I was just thinking about that yesterday. Like, what what was the, there was a pivot moment, and it was right after college. And, and maybe if you asked me, David, like, what's the decision that you've made in your life that you're most proud of? It would be this one. After college, I was floundering. I was really unclear as to what direction I wanted to go. So I was experimenting with a ton of different possibilities. Like I studied astrophysics for a year. You know, I, I applied to the Peace Corps and got in, was waiting for a place, an opening in Africa. I was exploring marine biology and all this stuff. And I, I read a book that was entitled, Do What You Love, The Money Will Follow. Meanwhile, I'm doing social work, making $17,000 a year. Not, not kidding. And my friends are all taking jobs, you know, out of, out of college on Wall Street, crushing it financially. I read this book, right? And, and the book is what the title says. Do what you love, the money will follow. I trusted it. So I clarified for myself, what am I truly passionate about? And, and I trusted that, you know, that it would work, that I would be able to make money. Now, I did, and I am, but it took way longer than it needed to because of my own fears. How long did it take? I didn't start making money really until I was in, like, decent money until I was in my 40s. And that was, that's all, I mean, that, that can be a totally separate subject, David, seriously, because it's all about money fear that I had. Or maybe it's the same subject, but I slowed it down. I'm, I'm proud that I trusted. There's a, there's a mantra that I use. I stole it from Deepak Chopra, who's one of my favorite teachers. Inherent within your desires are the mechanics for their own fulfillment. I believe that embedded within our passions are the mechanics for success. We can't really speed it up. Like you can't make grass grow faster, but you can slow it down, you know? And I, I, I slowed it down, but it's, it's not slowing now. <laughs> it's interesting. So you can't speed it up. I don't think that we could speed up the natural evolution of things, but we can certainly slow down the process with fear. You know, I had a lot of money fear, and uh, I was afraid to charge people. I and mean, this is a big issue with coaches. I was like so apologetic to charge what I thought was a strong fee. Now, I grew up pretty poor, so a strong fee. I mean, what I started charging as a coach is, is laughable now. Mm-hmm. 
Like I would charge like $60 an hour and then then sort of like throw that out there apologetically and say, but if that's too much, then we could do a sliding scale thing. Yeah, I could see how it would take a take a while to make money. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> right. But one of the things, I mean, one of the things that I've noticed over the course of, of my career is that the stronger the feed, the stronger the clients to show up. I mean, you got to back it up. You got to do your work. I'm, I'm constantly sharpening my own saw as a coach, constantly reading, constantly learning, getting coached, going to you know seminars all over the world. Of course, you need to back it up. But I have noticed that there is a direct correlation between the stronger, and I don't, I don't know that I'm going to raise my fees ever again because they're pretty damn strong right now. But I have noticed that each time I did, that the level of commitment that the clients that I was attracting or creating uh, was higher as well. Mm -hmm. Have you found any correlation between the level of your fee and the ability to get clients? Absolutely. The higher the fee, the more work I need to do as a coach to go find them in the world. 100%. And that, I mean, that's, that's, you know, it's a huge lesson that, you know, I learned from one of my former coaches, Steve Chandler, is the whole process of client creation, how to actually take ownership of that, that I create my clients. And I did. There are days, I mean, I've spent, there are days I would cross off entire days for the activity of client creation. I would sit right in this chair, this desk, and do nothing but explore who are the humans, ask the question, who are the humans in the world that could use my service and, and dig deep into that. And how do you do that? Well, the first how, answer to the how is slow down. I operate from the belief that our clients, our client prospects are already in our world. And I need to slow down enough so I can see that. So the slowing down discipline has easily been the most lucrative discipline of any in my career. So what I mean is like, you know, somebody connects with me through LinkedIn. They send a you know connection request. I'll study them. I mean, I will examine, I'll get into their world with the inquiry. I'll open up the, I'll open up their profile and I'll open up the inquiry in my mind. Is this someone that I could serve, that could use me? If the question isn't, is this somebody I can go get some money from? It's not the inquiry. The inquiry, here's another mantra. My bank accounts is a direct reflection of my level of service. So I get into the inquiry. Is this person, I don't know why they reached out to me. Who are they? What's up in their world? What's going on for them? And, and maybe there's someone that I could serve, perhaps. And if so, then what I'll do is I'll reach out to them and just get start to get to know them with an inquiry and, and perhaps a gift of some sort. I have a huge library of gifts, like this, you know, links, products, audio programs, books, digital books, you know, links to TED Talks. And I'll, but I'll study the person enough to know well what would a relevant gift be for this person. And I really go out of my way to have them know that I don't, I'm not trying to get anything from them, except maybe information. And I just want to serve them. And the other thing you're saying is that this is not an automated process, <laughs> right? Like the, those of us that are active on LinkedIn get bombarded by, by these messages and uh, requests for connection Yeah, that, um, I would be very surprised if it's not some automated system, even though LinkedIn wasn't designed for that. But a lot, a lot of people use it that way. Yeah, I call that the cheese factor, and it's it's just so greasy, it's so cheesy that it's so insincere. 
you know, 99%. In fact, once in a while, I'll respond to someone and say, this this approach can't be working for you, can it? Because I'll get a, a, a you know a greasy, <laughs> cheesy reach out, automated, totally insincere, obvious mess, like a message that's it's obvious this person did zero research on me by the nature of their inquiry or offering. It's obvious that the person didn't do it, take a minute. So when I open that up, I think, well, maybe this is a person who could use my service. And I will unapologetically, from a place of service, let them know the effect that they just had on me, which is repulsive. And I tell them, this probably isn't working well for you. And it looks like I just studied you. It appears that you're towards the beginning of your career. And I might say, I don't want anything from you. I want nothing from you except to communicate to you that this, you know, when I was your age, if I learned what I'm about to share with you, it would have served me real well. And your approach is repelling me. Get to know me. Be sincere. Lose yourself in the inquiry. How could I possibly, if my life depended on serving this human, what would a way for me be to do that? And look, the reality is in a coaching business for one-to-one clients, you don't need a whole lot of clients to make a good living. No, not at all. That's right. Just go find a few great people who, when you look at your calendar, and this is such a luxury that I get to say this now, I'm legitimately pumped when I look at my calendar and I see uh, an appointment, it's like, oh, I get to coach that person today. This is awesome. And I get paid to do this. I get to hang out with this person. I love my clients. But I, I vet the hell out of them. In fact, I, I, you know, I make it kind of difficult even to, you know, for them to get in. And the reason for that is, I, you know, when the first time I ever heard anything like that, I thought, man, that's pretty cocky. But no, it's, it's, it's in order. It all is the design to maximize the probability of success. Right, because the, when the people who are truly, truly committed to investing in themselves, they're going to spend that much money, and they're going to invest in themselves. They're going to show up. They're going to do what they. They're going to be on time. They're not going to cancel with you know BS reasons, and uh, and they're going to do what they say they're going to do, and then they go market you. True. Yeah. So, Chris, you started your your career as a social worker. That's right. And um, how linear was the progression from social worker to coaching? That's a good question. So serendipitously, really what happened, I was a basketball player in college, and I was playing pickup games after college while I was doing social work. And I played in a pickup game one night, and I shattered my leg. It was was a terrible compound fracture, bone protrusion. I got a fatty embolism, pneumonia, I almost died. I was in Princeton Medical Center for eight days on an ice blanket and self-drip or self-administered morphine. <laughs> so I don't remember much of it. But after that, I gave up hoops and I, I took up golf. And I, I was addicted instantly. And I noticed also quite instantly how psychological the game is, right? So thank God for that, that night where I broke my leg because uh, it, it really governed the direction that I went in. When I started playing golf, I realized I was mental. <laughs> I thought maybe there's a career in this. Maybe I can marry my passions, my passion for uh, sports and my passion for human potential and go do sports psych. So I did. I got my master's degree out here at Arizona State and then I created an internship with the men's golf team, which was cool. It's a good story too, if we want to get into it later, because uh, it didn't exist. And I, and I created it and it turned into a, a job. So after I graduated, then the coach hired me for the next 10 years. And these guys, all these, I mean, it's Arizona State, so one of the best golf programs on the planet Earth. People come from all over Earth to play on the team here. 
So these these guys all go pro, and they all and be, they all became my clients. So it was like I fast tracked it to my dream. Now, meanwhile, so I'm working with these guys on tour, loving life. And meanwhile, I'm I'm also working with some amateur golfers, and a lot of the amateur golfers are business people, and a lot of them are involved in sales. And this is the part I could not have predicted, but this is great because it's like embedded within your passions are the mechanics for success. This stuff, just stay the course and miracles will occur. And here's one of them. Uh, also, the story is um, grounded in service. I was doing these clinics for junior golfers and I'd noticed I'd have these repeat attendees. I said, see, you guys look familiar. How many people here have uh, have been to one of these mental toughness training clinics before this one? And a bunch of kids raised their hand. I said, oh, good. What do you remember? And all their hands went down. And they put, I said, their heads go down. So I thought, this is a design flaw. The model is not working. I mean, that's not the way I want repeat customers because they can't remember anything. <laughs> so I thought, we got to go back to the drawing board and enhance the product in service. So... Uh, one of the changes that I made, actually, this is relevant to everything we're talking about. Two changes I made. One, less content, deeper on less, and le- like the less is more deal. But the other thing, and this is the big one, was I decided to invite parents to attend for free. They pay for their kid, they get to come. And the parents might pay attention and help the kid, you know, remember something. One of the parents that attended the very first clinic where uh, I had invited parents, he approached me afterwards. Dave Canham, we're, we're great friends. We've remained great friends for 20, this is like 20 years ago. He approached me and he said, hey, I run sales at a company here called Insight. It's a big computer component company. And uh, we're struggling. We need this mental toughness stuff. Can you come do it for us? And I actually said to him, because I was intimidated by that. Because I didn't know anything about the corporate world. And I had all these weird ideas. It's a world that I don't get. You know, my background's in social work and psych. What do I know about that? And he said, dude, just come do exactly what you just did. This is like exactly what you just did. You're just speaking to older people. And that opened up the world for me, the world. And this guy starts introducing me to other, you know, decision makers and leaders. And and now I'm like doing all this mental toughness training in the enterprise software industry. I I couldn't even articulate that sentence 10 years ago because I didn't know what that meant. I didn't know, know that those were words that go together. Enterprise software? What the hell is that? But that's like, that's my niche now. I didn't pick it. It happened. Right. I mean, this is actually a, a fascinating story of an unexpected pivot with dramatic results. One question jumps into my mind, which is, what made you think that inviting parents was a good idea? Where'd you come up, come up with that idea? So I remember exactly where I was. I was in central Phoenix, my first ever office that I couldn't afford and I was sitting, I didn't have any clients. I was sitting at this desk. I had some clients, they were, you know, on the PGA tour, the, the guys, but they were rookies and I wasn't, and I still had all my money fear. So I wasn't, I, I was like doing most of that for free. <laughs> the amount of, oh, wow, money. Oof. <laughs> so many stupid lessons. Well, isn't hindsight 2020? Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know what though? I, you know, thank God I hired the coaches that I did and I figured out how to go get the money to pay for them. Because they, they taught me what I wished I had known in my 20s and 30s, like that. Well, isn't that the whole idea of coaches, to help shortcut? Yep. To stop slow. Right, yeah. I don't think it's – I wouldn't call it a shortcut, but I, I get – yes, I, I agree with you. It's like my coaches helped me stop slowing myself down. They had me unlearn the things that were having me struggle unnecessarily so I could flow you know, at a, a natural pace. 
Yeah. I've found that hiring employees can do the same thing. Mm. Yes. One hundred percent. I don't have employees per se, but I do have a team, a support team. And what they do for me now is unbe I can't even believe that I used to do or or try even to learn all that they do for me on the tech side, as far as you know, creating my podcast and creating my, you know, all the online presence content and distributing it all over the place for me. Mm-hmm. So I can just do what I'm best at. But anyway, going back to this pivot. Yeah. So yeah. you're sitting in this office. Oh, yeah, yeah. Thanks. How did you come up with the idea to invite parents? Great tracking right there. Good job. Yeah, I, I just sat in the question. Honest to goodness, David, it, as I sat and thought, we need to make this better. This has to be better. If the kids aren't remembering it. So those are my only two ideas. Let's give them less stuff. Okay. Let's try to make it stickier for them. And let's bring other people who might be able to reinforce it. Like, Parents or I guess didn't need to be a parent, but it could be anybody. Could have been their coach. I didn't think of that. I just thought just get an adult, preferably an adult who plays golf, so they get it. So really, the, the simple short answer is just service. Mm-hmm. So how can I up level? How can I significantly improve the way I'm serving these people? If I'm going to continue to do these clinics, how can I serve them better through them? Right, and you had the perseverance to keep working at it when you saw that it wasn't working so well. Yeah, and you decided to test a couple of things. You had ideas, but you had no idea how well they would work. Correct. That's right. Well, it worked pretty well, pretty fast, the second one, Mm -hmm. (laughs) because it was the first clinic that I had ever invited parents, and he approached me afterwards, David did. Right. But the other thing thing is, when you were approached to go and give this presentation in a corporate environment, you said yes. So it means you were open to the opportunity, despite any fears you may have had. I was scared. Yeah, that's a really good point. So I like the way you're slowing this down because there are some some important nuggets in there. I was petrified. I had all these weird ideas that it's a, that the corporate world is one that I don't belong in, which is of course weird nonsense. Yeah, no, they're they're very important nuggets. Yeah, right, right. Like who am I? The whole imposter syndrome, mm-hmm. right? was activated as soon as this guy told me, I run sales, and Insight is a huge company. You know, they here, uh, it's a huge company anywhere, but and they're here. <clears throat> so everyone knows, they're right on I-10. You drive, I drove past it every day on my way to the office, and they sponsored one of the uh, FBS, you know, the football college bowl games, the Insight Bowl. It's a big deal. So I had these weird visions. As soon as he's asking me, like, do I have to wear a tie now? Like, do I have to learn their language? And did you? No. That was all nonsense. I mean, I learned, I'm learning. I still, it's like fast forward 18 years now. Of course, I'm learning the language, but they don't need me to do that. Like, that maybe helps me deliver some content better. Or maybe, like, and I'm thinking more in my, oh, well, here's another point that I hadn't thought of. You know, I didn't know that I was going to go into coaching, right? That happened. And I sure as hell did not know that I was going to be doing public speaking and workshops because then, you know, I I got to know this guy and he introduced me to all these other folks who are decision makers in the corporate world. And then they hired me to do a keynote speech, which was huge. Same thing. They asked me, the guy saw me present. He's like, oh, I love this mental toughness stuff. This is great. Can you be our keynote, our closing keynote speaker for our annual kickoff? It's in Chicago. (laughs) And instantly petrified. Like thousands of people from around the world convening in Chicago. All to hear you. To hear me wrap up their week. (laughs) No pressure, babe. 
No, no pressure. <laughs> Go get it. But but again, it's being open to opportunity. And I'll tell you what. And listening for it. Yep, that's right. And then preparing like a maniac, a maniac for it. I bet you did. I, I don't know that I've ever prepared as much for anything in my life. And crushed it. And then then open the floodgates. Seriously, because then, you know, these people are bouncing from company to company to company. And they say, oh, that guy, Doris dude was pretty cool. That mental toughness cat. Let's get him in. Because these companies are always looking for new content, for training their people, right? And they're open to hiring coaches. I couldn't have known any of this. It's a whole world. Uh, and man, they got budgets too. <laughs> you know, they need to keep their people. So these, so the people in the audience that were there in Chicago, you know, they go to the different companies. They say, let's bring Doris in for our, you know, our next kickoff or our our quarterly, you know, event. So now I'm coaching all these people in the enterprise software industry and you know, becoming mental the mental coach for certain companies and doing coaching with their uh, top performers and their leaders. And it all, I'll tell you, it all comes back. It all goes back to some of those first decisions. Trust my passion. Don't go take a job for money all the way back in the beginning. Do what it takes to get really good at what you're doing and always be driven by service and say yes. Say yes to opportunities, even if you don't think you're ready. To go get ready. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, especially if you don't think you're ready. Yeah, which, which half the time I think is just nonsense. You are ready, but you don't know it. Agreed. Agreed. Right. Yeah. Chris, this has been a fascinating discussion. I'm so glad that you've taken the time to to join us today. If somebody wants to go deeper with anything we've discussed, um, you've mentioned that you have lots of content. Um, I'm sure you have some some great things people can access. Where's the best place to to learn about you, access any of these resources, and get in touch with you? I appreciate that. Thanks. Yeah, it's definitely my website where uh, it's ChristopherDoris.com. And I, I pump out a ton of content. I have a list. It's called The Daily Dose. The Daily Dose, mental toughness tips in 30 seconds or less, right? So I work my butt off at condense. I take all these mental toughness, you know, constructs and then reduce them, reduce, reduce, reduce until you can get it in less than 30 seconds. So that you get on that list every morning at 6 a.m., wherever you are in the world, you'll get a little nugget, for me in the inbox. So you get on that, then you get on my other list and you, you'll get my, I, I blog every Tuesday and I have my podcast come out every other Thursday. So ChristopherDoris.com, you can get all the goodies. Great. Well, I want to thank you again for joining us. My guest today has been mental toughness coach, Chris Doris. Thank you again, Chris, for joining us. I really appreciate the invite, David. Thanks so much. When you visit the Smashing the Plateau website at smashingtheplateau.com, You'll find a summary of each episode, along with the links we mentioned on the show. Today, we learned how Chris has built a successful coaching business by focusing on service and much more. Please share this episode with friends and colleagues to help them smash the plateau. Thank you for taking the time to listen to our show. I'll see you on our next episode. <laughs>